Let's all stand, open our Bibles tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're back in 2 Corinthians the moment. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of heart. I'm going to preach on the subject for a few minutes tonight, living epistles. The context, we understand Paul writing here to the church at Corinth. You know the problems that were addressed in uh, 1 Corinthians. You know the heaviness of his heart. He sends Titus. And he was waiting word from Titus to see how the church had responded. And he's, he's dealing now with the, the matter of church discipline and not just dealing with it properly, but now forgiving the man that had been disciplined, restored after his repentance. But all of this, now you have false prophets in the church as well that have spoken against Paul, undermined his apostleship. And Paul basically is asking them, as preachers come through, you need to, uh, you're looking for some letter of recommendation. We, we do the same, let's be honest, we, we do the same naturally. Uh, we want someone to have uh, a degree, or we want someone to have some experience, or we want someone to have a letter of recommendation. If you get a job today, you have to have a letter of recommendation. But in this case, this was a church that Paul planted, I can't imagine, uh, if, if I were to leave Cap City or Vida Abundante and come back in two years and they said, well, in order to have you preach, we need a letter of recommendation. <laughs> That's what Paul was dealing with. Yes. Paul was saying, really? Yeah. Uh, church, I started you. I led you to Christ. Uh, uh, God used me to plant this work in Corinth. And now you're talking about letters of commendation? And then he makes this statement. In verse 2, he said, Ye are epistle written on our hearts, known and read of all men. He said, You are my letters of recommendation. Amen. He said, You're my, I, I don't need a college degree. I, I, I don't need anything outside of. There are converts spread all over this congregation that I led to Christ, that I discipled, that I helped grow. You're still in church. Nothing more needs to be said or done than that. Well, having read the book of 1 Corinthians and known the level of Christianity or the lack of Christianity in this church, maybe that's why they were doubting Paul. There, no reason to doubt Paul, no reason to doubt the Christianity that we see at the church of Corinth. But I want you to focus on the phrase, verse 2, ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. I want to make seven quick statements concerning uh, the thought here and what we see in these three verses. Number one, every day you are writing your story, your life story, your epistle. Young people, you're writing uh, the book of Brett and the book of Mason and the book of Justin and the book of Joseph. And it's going to be read of all men. He's looking at these People in the church, he said, there's people reading you. We do this. 
We read people every day. We, we read their conduct. We read their character. We read their conversation. And we make a judgment call. That's someone I want to get close to. That's someone I can trust. That, that's someone that uh, I, I want to be a mentor. That, that's someone I want to spend time with. That, that's a good Christian. You know what we're doing? We're, we don't know their heart and soul. We're simply reading the book that they are writing. And if you're a born-again child of God, you're in this church, you're an epistle of Christ. But beyond that, you, you have a story. When we think about biographies, I believe someone they did brought in a few biographies for me at night. We, we think of, I remember or have ever read Bruchko. I remember reading this book. I read it twice, very simple reading. I was intrigued. A missionary that goes, uh, no real calling, no real background. He just knows he wants to go to the mission field, and they drop him off on a plane, and he stumbles into an uh, unreached tribe, and he gets shot with an arrow and barely escapes with his life and uh, determines to go back. Incredible story. Uh, John Wesley, all of us know John Wesley. We, we look at these books, but these aren't living epistles. And how many of you have ever read a book, and when you got done, you thought, I wonder how much of that is true. I wonder what is exaggerated. I wonder what is left out. Now, here's the difference. Some of these people that came to the conference this week already have biographies written about their life. Most of you know Tom Williams' story. And, and you've, some of you read Margaret Stringer's testimony or Don Sis' uh, biography. But you know what's much greater than actually reading a book is spending time with the living epistle. How many of you were more impressed with the living epistle than uh, the biography of Miss Stringer? How many more impressed by the real Don Sisk uh, over the biography of Dr. Sisk? There's something about the living epistle. Now, let me ask you this. If, If someone wrote your book in order to make it uh, readable, digestible, interesting. Would, would they have to do some exaggerating? Would, would they have to do a lot of editing, cut things out, leave things out, twist the truth? Uh, yeah. Some, hey, some biographies are so boring. Have you ever started reading a book and you put it down and said, I, I just can't take it, it's too boring. How many of you read in your Bible the biography of Methuselah? 969 years in the Bible said he lived and died. That's what most people are doing. That's it. The the living epistle is not much more interesting than the past biography. Man that's dead. And uh, Christian, you, you ought to say, I want my life to be of value. I'm, I was reminded, preaching a funeral this morning in Lockhart, I reminded how people can live 40, 50, 60 years, and those that love them most are left with not much to say. You ought to live a life that's worth living and dedicated to Jesus Christ and, and so wrapped up in others that there's not enough time for people to say what they'd like to say about the life that you've lived. But right now, are you, are you doing anything that counts? Are you doing anything worthy of mentioning? There's some that start sad, like the biography of Joseph, and they end happy. Yours, how many you want your story to end well? Yeah. 
Anybody I read recently, someone gave me the book, Mike Lindell. Anybody here read that story? You ought to get it. Uh, speed read. Now, here's, I thank God for the gift of being able to speed read. There's, it's one of those, you want to speed read, you get bogged down, but his life of, of drugs and disaster and uh, owning a bar and his life without God, his life without Christ, and then see uh, how his life so drastically changed. But when you, when you start reading it, those first seven or eight chapters, I decided to speed read. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I don't, I don't want to read about someone's disaster of a past. So I want to skip to the end and see, does this end well? We know Mike Lindell say, okay, it, thank God there's a God in heaven that can change a disaster of the past, not just change a destiny, but literally change a life through the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Joseph's life as a Christian, it just looked like it was going to be a disaster and ended up so well. They're incredible testimonies of the grace of God, uh, Paul. But here's... Here's what you want to do. You, you need to understand, young people, uh, every day. You wrote a page today, and you'll write another page tomorrow. And you ought to say, I want to make sure what I'm writing is well written, because what I'm writing is read and known. Look what it says. Your ERR pencils written where? Now, you can destroy paper. Books go out of print. But... We're not, we're not talking about words written on a piece of paper with ink. We're talking about your life is written in the hearts of men. That's long-lasting substance. Known and read of all men. Well, you know, I, there are just some things I wish they wouldn't mention. Well, don't write them. Well, I, I don't think people should talk about that. I don't, I don't think people should hold that over my head. They shouldn't. Right? Aren't you glad for the grace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God? Don't you wish everyone had the memory of God? Right? So that's forgiven and forgotten. For most humans, it's forgiven, it's just never forgotten. But you know the best way to avoid that? Just watch what you write. Because what you write is written with permanent ink. You don't get to go back with an eraser that... Life you live is not a chalkboard. What you wrote yesterday is permanent. What you wrote two months ago is permanent. You say, Pastor, don't depress me. I'm not trying to depress you. I'm trying to get you to live from this day forward with caution and a little bit of trepidation and a little bit of preparation and saying, God forgives me. It's under the blood. I have heaven awaiting me. But at the end of the day, what I'm writing is written in the hearts of men. My words are written in the hearts of men. My actions, my reactions, they're written in the hearts of men. Some much deeper and much greater than others. But you know what you're doing every day? What, what I do is I minister here. I'm writing on your hearts the book of Adam Thompson. And you know what you're doing every day? You're reading your pastor. And you're saying, can I respect that? Can I follow that? Can I learn from that? You know why some have left? That is, I don't like the book of Adam. I'll be honest with you, I don't like the book of Adam. <laughs> I haven't always enjoyed the reading. 
You know what it makes me do? It makes me want to be more cautious about the writing I do today and the writing that I do tomorrow and the writing that I do the next day. Not just in public, but in private, wherever I'm at. I want to make sure uh, that the Holy Spirit of God is writing on my heart. And, and let me just say this. Um, young people, look, look what it says. Your epistle written where? Now, now, what we're talking about is writing on the heart, in the heart. You need to be very careful about who you allow to write on your heart. Because you have a book that's being read by others. But what is being written should be written by the Holy Spirit of God. And most Christians are allowing the wrong people to write on their heart. So what is read has not been written by God or the Holy Spirit of God, but by someone else who has no business writing on their heart. That's why you ought to be careful about television. That's why you ought to be careful about friendships. That's why you ought to be careful about internet. That's why you ought to be careful about who you lend your gates to, eye gates, ear gates. Because you're allowing someone else to write in your heart and someone around you is going to be reading what others have written on your heart. Uh, these people had Paul, Paul of all influences. They couldn't have a greater influence. But then after Paul's departure, they allowed uh, the wrong culture in their city, the world and the wickedness of the world in Corinth and carnal Christians and false prophets to write on their hearts and the epistles that were being read were not great epistles. The first good chapter, the first good word in your book, in your epistle, is written by God himself when he writes the gospel on our hearts. Aren't you thankful for that? He's looking at this church at Corinth. He goes into town. This town had no gospel witness. He begins to reach people the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have specific names or cases, but you can go through the Bible. It's Paul himself, we know about his past. He's, he's literally wreaking havoc in the church. He's killing Christians. He's pulling women and children out of house churches, delivering them to prisons. And this man was a horrible person. You, you, the very first, although Pharisee of Pharisees, although a religious person, the first good chapter in Paul's life was one written by God himself on the heart of Paul, the road to Damascus, when the light of the glorious gospel shined through. This is where the whole book changed, the direction of the whole book. This word, you read the biography of Paul and it's just ugly and ugly and ugly and ugly. And the next thing you know, Road to Damascus changes the direction of the book. Now it's worth reading. And Christians of all ages, 2,000 years, have read it, talked about it, highlighted it, spent missions conferences, church planning conferences, Bible college classes, all rotating around the life of one man whose first 20 chapters were horrific. That ought to give you hope. Just say, you know what? There's hope because I've gotten to heaven. 
uh, through the Holy Spirit of God uh, that started writing on my heart, and he started with writing of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that, that changed the chapters. It's not. We don't have to go to the, the Bible and find the Mary Magdalene or the maniac of Gadara or the, the worst of the worst, the most depraved of the depraved. Every one of us, even if you're raised in a Christian environment, you know. Before God wrote that chapter, it was all pride and self-righteousness. It was fake as a $3 bill. It was selfishness. It, it was a, a, a wicked interior uh, with, with a painted exterior simply to deceive. And then the Holy Spirit of God began to write a new chapter. Amen. Amen. Now go with me to first, first Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Look what it says, verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time of the will of man, but holy men of God, what? Spake as they were what? Now, isn't the finest reading ever written what God wrote? Holy men spake as they were what? Now, now, we understand there's a double connotation here, what we write, what's written upon us. But the Holy Spirit's supposed to be doing the writing. Now, Christian, I want you to think about this. Think about this for a minute. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Let's, let's say that together. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Isn't that what's supposed to be taking place in the life of a Christian? Isn't our life supposed to be inspired by God? So aren't we supposed to be holy men? We're writing an epistle, which is our life. Aren't we supposed to be acting and speaking moved by the Holy Spirit of God? Now, let me ask you this. How much of you of what you wrote today was moved by the Holy Spirit of God? How much of what you did today was authorized, dictated by the Holy Spirit of God? How much what came out of your mouth came out because of the Holy Spirit of God? What about your actions, your spirit, your thoughts, your attitude? Was it a holy man speaking, moved by the holy? Don't you think there'd be more witnessing and more praying and more encouraging? And don't you think our books would be much better written as parents? If, if our kids would say of us, that's a holy man of God moved by the Holy Ghost. Of, why am I getting looked at like I'm speaking some strange language saying? It's, you, you look like I'm inventing some new doctrine. Isn't this Bible doctrine? We're talking about epistle being written and read by others. The, the only thing that's going to keep you to say, well, salvation is supposed to do that for me. How many came to the realization after salvation, you had a lot of imperfections? And five decades later, three decades later, two decades later, two months later, you're still saying, what I'm writing is not pretty. I, I need to get this figured out quick because what my kids are reading is not great. What, what my family's reading is not great. What my coworkers are reading is not great. I, I want to author this better. You're, you're not going to write it very well. You need the Holy Spirit of God to write it. 
You know what inspiration is? We have a wrong definition of inspiration. We've corrected it in Bible college uh, repeatedly. Uh, they act as if inspiration was God allowing a man to basically do his own thing and occasionally he would direct him and guide him. That's not inspiration at all. Inspiration is God taking over literally the heart, the mind, the hands. Uh, do you realize when they spoke of the disciples, they said these are unlearned men. Peter didn't have to know how to read or write when he wrote scripture. Because God literally had taken over the heart. Yes, he threw in their personalities. But at the end of the day, we're talking about the eternal word of God. Peter couldn't have messed it up if he tried. If he tried to, if he tried to misspell a word, he couldn't have done it. Someone looked at that book when he finished writing and said, Peter, you have beautiful cursive. He said, actually, you don't want to see my writing. That was done by the Holy Spirit of God. And someone ought to read your book and say, that's beautiful curse. And you say, no, no, that's not me at all. That's the Holy Spirit of God. It, it, you, you can tell uh, the letters of, of my life on that page. They're barely legible. <laughs> barely. <laughs> so many things misquoted and misspelled and misplaced. But, but you know what God did? He put, he put in some nice chapters there. I just wish I would have been more submitted to his Holy Spirit and allowed him to do more of the writing. So someone's reading your book, and guess what other people can do? Uh, other people are very well aware. Hey, even your kids, you've got a five-year-old kid in that house, and they know when the Holy Spirit of God is writing and when you are writing. They're not clueless. They're not just your mate, not just your spouse, not just your boss, not just your pastor. Well, I hope... I hope pastor doesn't see this. Don't worry about pastor. Pastor doesn't live with you. I don't worry about those kids. I, I, I hope pastor doesn't hear this. I, I, kids, you never repeat this conversation to pastor. Pastor doesn't care. Because pastor doesn't live there. What about the people that live there? What about what your kids have to read at six in the morning? What, what about what your kids have to read at 9 o'clock at night? You are an epistle, read and known of all men, written in our hearts. You know what? If I mention any name in this congregation to someone else, they're immediately going to say what they have read, what you have written, on their hearts. Young people, so you better be careful. Better be careful. Whatever you whatever you write in fifth grade, in seventh grade, in ninth grade, you, you know what someone's gonna do? They're gonna remember that. And they're gonna say, Sammy, do you remember when you were in seventh grade? Things you, you forgot. But you wrote it on someone else's heart. It isn't, it, well, Pastor, I wrote so little. And so did Ananias and Sapphira. Don't you think Diotrephes, Demas? How would you like your biography to read? I mean, the Demas' biography is three pages long. You, 
you, you know the title of it? Demons have forsaken me. Having loved this present world. 2,000 years later, preacher still preaching on it. John Mark, jumping ship, the Isle of Cyprus. I, I just, I don't want to travel with you anymore, Paul. I think I'm done with this fun. Be careful. See, I don't, what, no one remembers the book of the Bible that I wrote. They just forget that's you, Mark. They, they just remember that you caused so much, you were such a source of contention that Paul and Barnabas, their friendship ended. Two bosom buddies. All because, John Mark, they were frustrated with you. Now go back with me to 2 Corinthians 3. Look what it says in verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, in some others, epistles of commendation? Let me just say this about what we're writing. These are epistles of commendation. You're an epistle of commendation. Epistle of commendation of God, of your church, and of your pastor. What's, what's verse 3 say? We're epistles of what? Of Christ. Your book, After Salvation, has Christ's name on it. So the way that people are going to read it, it, you're the only Bible, Michael, that many people will ever read. They're, not, they're never going to open up John or Romans. They're going to read the book of Michael because he calls himself a Christian. He has Jesus written on the front cover. And they're going to judge God and Jesus Christ by what they see in Michael. The only epistle they're reading is this one right here. Read it every day. Some read it for three hours. Some read it every day for two years. And they're saying, I'm basing my thoughts on God or on Capital City Baptist Church or on Pastor Adam based on what I see in this epistle. And Paul said, people are judging me by what they see in you, my followers. Capital City, you are my epistles. Someone comes to Capital City Baptist Church, you know what they base their judgment of Pastor Adam upon? The members. They meet one corn ball, one cheese bucket, one knucklehead. <laughs> Say, Pastor, you calling someone a cheese ball and not go ahead? I don't know. They're, they're, I've pastored a few in my lifetime. I just won't tell you if I'm pastoring one right now. I'm just telling you, I've, I've pastored a few. They're, they see one member get frustrated and a moment of tension, lose their cool. That's, that's what they think of Cap City. You know, you know, people out there are thinking of, they know you're Christian, and at work, their thoughts of God and Christianity are based on the epistle that they read. And you invite them to Capital City, the only thing they know about Capital City is what they see in you. And if that's a marital problem, if that's a mood problem, if that's a pattern of frustration, distress, lack of faith, 
irritability, laziness, whatever it is, they equate capital city Baptist, you're the face of it. They don't visit capital city, they just read your book. They don't talk to God. They just talk to you. They don't know anything about Pastor Adam. They just read the epistle of his member. He said, letters of recommendation, you're my letters of recommendation. Cap City, you're my letters of recommendation. But that's the lowest on the totem pole. You're the recommendation of Capital City. And you are the recommendation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, we are epistles of what? Christ. When you walk out these doors, you are the epistle of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're on that job, when you're with those co-workers, when you're with your family, they're looking at you and saying, is he going to act as Christ would act because he claims to be a child of Christ? And your children look at you under moments of duress and say, is he going to act like a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? We are epistles of Jesus Christ. Last thing, number seven. We're done. 2 Timothy 4, 7. The book should end well. You know what we were reminded of this past week? Gartner Gentry, 85. Tom Williams, 87. Miss Stringer, 82. She looks like she's 68. Here's what we've seen in each one of those. You know, we saw people that are finishing well. Brother William's not sitting at the house on the rocking chair waiting for the Lord to come. He's already talking about this next trip to Malawi. Brother Ginger is already talking about the next church, the next meeting, the next child at the orphanage, the next container. God help us live the way where we say, I want to make sure I finish strong. You know, there's some chapters that weren't well written. I look back at my life, and church, I'll just tell you, there's some chapters that were not well written. I, I can't go back and redo those six months. I can't go back and redo that moment. I can't go back and redo that year. But what I can do is say, I want to finish strong. If the Lord comes back or if he doesn't come back, I want to finish strong. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. That's not, he wasn't married. That wasn't talking about marriage. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Don't you want to be able to say that? I'm not coasting on my way out. I'm not coasting my giving. I'm not coasting my soul winning. You know, uh, there, there are people here who used to be involved in soul winning, and, and you checked out. You, you used, to, used to be involved in helping others. You checked out. You used to be involved in ministry. You checked out. And you're not in retirement age. You're spiritually retired. People, people talking about, you know, Pastor, I think I'm, think I'm gonna, think I'm gonna move on. As soon as you start to move on, you're gonna move on. And where you're gonna end up, who knows? It's not gonna be a good spot. You know, you know what keeps us responsible? The accountability of ministry. And work and soul winning 
that keeps us accountable when we distance ourselves from those things. We find ourselves growing distant from God.